Hello, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of the podcast. Today, we have for our guest, Globe 3 Capital, the Digital Assets Hedge Fund. And so we are joined by Matt Layson, the Chief Investment Officer, as well as Jeff Embry, the Managing Partner. Hello, gentlemen. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks for having us. So to get things kicked off, we'd love for you to tell your story each individually. Uh, Matt, we're going to have you kind of get things going and then Jeff follow right after him. But just tell us, you know, what got you into the financial services industry and then ultimately what led you down the the Web3 path? Yeah, I'd be happy to. You know, I've always been like consider myself good with numbers. So finance was always an area I wanted to go into. And after college, I became a market maker on the floor of the Pacific Exchange up in San Francisco. So I was one of the guys in the jackets and pits yelling and screaming like you might see on CNBC. So I did that for many years and uh, had been after that, had gone into the payments area for finance and had been in that for a while. And it was in 2014 when I was introduced to Bitcoin. And that's when I discovered it. I always like to tell people I bought it for $200 and sold it way too early. So we won't go into those details. But what really, I was really drawn to blockchain technology and the decentralization aspect. I was just fascinated with it because I believe kind of as we, every day goes along, you know, the entire world gets more centralized, whether it's governments corporations, it feels like we keep losing power day day by day by day. So, you know, the fact that blockchain technology and Bitcoin was kind of a decentralized protocol, I was just fascinated by it. But I needed to learn more. And so as I followed the space through 2017 and that bull market, it was really in 2020 where the DeFi summer hit. And that's where I went down the rabbit hole. Uh, when I was able to go into different protocols, uh, the fact that I was able to use Uniswap, I was actually part of the original Uniswap airdrop. And uh, Uniswap's an automated market maker. So I was a market maker back in the day. And the fact that this was all automated and decentralized on the back end, I was just really blown away. So I, I got into yield farming, uh, did all DeFi, uh, liquidity pools. I would chart all my, all my liquidity pools and just kind of track where every dollar went and check out the returns. I just loved it and spent a lot of very early mornings doing that. And I luckily, I had a very large time during the day with my kind of other job being on um, autopilot. I just spent a lot of time digging deep. And I just really, really loved the space. And the funny thing was, is after being in it for a few months or even a year, you realize what a lonely space it was. You know, I tried to explain like, hey, I was doing this liquidity pool and all this yield farming. And man, I, no one knew what I was talking about. I'm like, wow, man, maybe I am really early here and, on, and onto something. But it just created a, uh, a passion for the space. And I was just really fascinated because when you're dealing with blockchain technology, when you have you know, the peer-to-peer transactions, you have digital ownership, um, immutability, uh, all that stuff was just so cool. And uh, it was nice to finally see protocols you can use. And that's where we just kept going along. And I would talk to Jeff periodically because we've been good friends since college. And we, you know, I had a a handful of friends and family, you know, years later, uh, about a year or two ago, say, hey, you know, we're really interested in crypto. We don't know the first thing about it. We don't know how to invest in it. And we know you really know what you're doing. I'd like to get, you know, write you a bunch of checks. I'm like, well, I I just can't take a check. And so I would talk to Jeff about what's going on and keep him abreast of the space. And he's like, you know, let's think about starting a hedge fund. And that's kind of at least the 
you know, when the light bulb went on and the, you know, the birth of Globe 3 Capital, and we started back in July of 2022 and been having a great time since. So that's kind of the lead up to where, you know, we started the firm and my entry into the space. I love it. That's a great background. I mean, 20, you said 2015, 2014 for Bitcoin. 2014. Yeah. That's, that's, that's impressive. I mean, I feel like most people I meet are around that 2017, 2018, 2019 space. So that's awesome. Jeff, would love to hear your background. What led you to it? Sure. Um, actually, Matt Lason led me to it. Uh, and he tried to buy, uh, get me to purchase it at $200 at the exact same time he took his first entry. And I think I said something like, isn't that for criminals, money launderers, and drug dealers, and <laughs> moved on. And, uh, you know, incredibly disappointed in myself for not reading the same white paper he did because I would have gotten it three minutes later. So anyway, um, to back up a little bit, yeah, Matt and I met in college, great friends. We both moved to the Bay Area after graduation, and I got into technology, both hardware and software, but always wanted to get to the finance side. And fortunately, I uh, joined a small little company managing about $5 billion at the time uh, called Fisher Investments, Ken Fisher's firm. And it's a global macro. Yeah, in 2002, after the dot-com bubble, ironically enough, um, and spent seven years with them. And I was about the 200th employee, so I got incredible exposure uh, and traveled the country with Ken Fisher. And, you know, we all worked basically out of his huge log cabin uh, up above Silicon Valley. And that's where I learned, you know, a global macro top-down approach, market cycles, behavioral finance, which is the study of the human mind. And just as a quick example, the capital markets are the only markets in the world where people, free markets in the world, where people buy less when prices are lower and buy more when prices are higher. You can see that in the charts. You can see that in euphoria, supply and demand, capitulation, all that. So that really became my passion and my background. And after seven years with Fisher, I moved to another smaller tactical market cycle type money manager that managed about $5 billion. And I had helped Fisher grow to $50 billion before I left um, and spent seven years there. And Matt and I, we were speaking often. He was always coaching me on crypto, basically managing some of my crypto. And I was uh, commuting early one morning and it came up that uh, so many people had offered him money. And I said, geez, that sounds like about 800,000 to a million. You should really consider opening a hedge fund. And he said, that's my dream. That's always been my dream. I said, yeah, me too. He goes, but my expertise is, you know, strategy, structure, having read all the white papers I could get my hands on, studying teams, tokenomics, token utility, use cases, et cetera, and playing with those DeFi protocols. He goes, I don't want to do all the other stuff. That's your expertise. And I said, yeah, it is. I think we're talking here. And that, surprisingly, was April 2022. So we made a commitment on that drive. Let's explore this. Let's talk about it. And every morning, he's an early riser. I was commuting in at 6 in the morning. And I had about 30, 40 minutes every morning to talk to him. And we just hashed it out. You know, what would our strategy look like? Would we invest in Bitcoin? Would we invest in Ethereum? Short answer is no. Um, and, and after about a month, we saw a couple things happening. The continuation of the equity uh, bear market crashing and a severe crypto bear market crashing. And with my market cycle experience and understanding of how that works, there's no better time. And I remember telling him, 
you know, we're getting to, if we launch now, we'd get 2017 pricing for 2022 adoption and techno technological advancement. Um, there's going to be no better time. This is our second shot at the original internet that basically we all kind of missed on knowing how that would impact our lives and the value creation it would create. And we think it'd be even more, you know, the web three digital asset space is going to be more impactful, um, more value creation than the original internet. And we just saw an opportunity to be extremely early in a bull market cycle. You don't have to time the bottom, just be at or near a bear market bottom. We were and, uh, be early in the adoption cycle of an innovation class that'll soon be part of a true asset class like any other 12 in the S&P 500. So that brought us to uh, getting the lawyers involved, getting the paperwork structured, everything come into place. Within uh, two and a half, three months, we were had our banking and had our first LP wiring in the money, and we made our first trade uh, July 7th, 2022. We've never looked back, having the time of our lives. Both of your stories are quite compelling. They, um, Jeff, your story is so similar to mine. The first time I heard of Bitcoin was 2013. I did a quick Google search. I saw Silk Road, all that stuff. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to. I had just started my Roth IRA in 2011. I'm like, I'm not touching that stuff with a 10-foot pole. And then I got to ask you, too, just because I, I, I remember DeFi summer very well, Matt. Did you get rugged? Like, I, I mean, did you have any protocols that you played around with? They were so many. I remember trying to do the LP farming and stuff like that. And all of a sudden the liquidity would just, yep, there it goes. Luckily I did not. And that's a oh, good God, question. I, awesome. it's, it's a miracle. Uh, I did not, but I can't say that I didn't take a look at a few protocols and put a few dollars here and there that didn't really turn out very well. I haven't made uh, money on every single investment, but it was great because uh, you know, a couple investments that I really saw what tokenomics was all about. And when, when you, the really deep dive I did after maybe I bought a little bit of a protocol and a token that really didn't have much of a use case or utility. And when that didn't work out, I'm like, oh, now I get it. And so it really, any kind of like small failure back in the day really helped me kind of structure and build what we're going to do today as far as Globe 3 Capital. So I'm actually very grateful for a few of those mistakes I made, but I did not get rugged, uh, knock on wood, Sarah, I'm not, uh, you know, but uh, a lot of smart people did. And so it's, you know, I, I don't know if it's luck or anything, but we kind of have a way how we view things in the marketplace with centralized exchanges and other things like that. So we try to be as safe as we possibly can. So to make it a long answer, no, I was able to avoid the, an actual rugging. And it, and it reminds me real quick of one of my favorite quotes, uh, uh, lessons cost money, good ones cost lots. So uh, it's good to learn those early lessons. Hopefully they're smaller. And uh, not the good ones, uh, but, you know, you carry those, as Matt said, you carry those lessons to the future. And we've really, one of the things I admire about Matt, you know, when we started this, I was asking, hey, where, what exchanges are we going to use? How are we going to secure? How are we going to store this stuff? And he said, listen, we're not going offshore for anything. We're not doing FTX. I asked him specifically about that. Um, we're not going to use Chinese exchanges. We're going to go U.S. We're going to pay more. It's heavily regulated. We're going to look for bank charters out of Wyoming. And, you know, we're basically going to have to go that route versus looking for the high yields, the shiny dimes, the, the look how great this is here. And somehow, some way, we've managed to fly through all those, 
you know, and dodge those bullets and come out without getting rugged, without getting anything locked up, without getting anything stolen. And Matt's done a wonderful job at that. That's wildly admirable because right when you started your hedge fund, um, you know, that's right in between the three arrows capital and FTX situation. So the fact that you're able to, you know, not only navigate that landscape and you're still coming out successful, but to avoid all of that, uh, just because many of the hedge funds that I've talked to um, were chasing what you're saying. There's higher yields outside the country. Let's go over here. Like, why are you guys waiting? It shouldn't take this long to open accounts at U.S. based custodians and hedge funds. It's two days over here only to find out months later is two days for a reason. Um, yeah. So, and, yeah. Yeah. And that, and that comes down to the experience I had spending thousands, thousands of hours in DeFi and all this stuff. And so when you realize ultimately, if it looks too good, it probably is. That's really the truth. And I also, I, I didn't predict any of these things, but I also saw things where SBF was a nobody. And next thing you know, he's the Warren Buffett of crypto. I didn't really get it, you know, and then you have, the Celsius. I'm like, wow, they're paying 11, 12% on, you know, whether it be stable coins or other crypto, it seems pretty expensive. BlockFi, a certain percentage on Bitcoin. I'm like, where's that coming from? So just a lot of these little alarm bells uh, went off in my head just to avoid, you know, another thing with Luna. I mean, how, how quickly did Luna go from one to a hundred? And next thing you know, the uh, what was it? Uh, their, what was, I don't know if it was their liquidity pool, their staking was 20%. Like, where's that 20% coming from? So just a lot of little things that I learned over time. And if you have a little weird feeling about it, it's just best to stay away. And, and you know, we got lucky to avoid all that. Yeah. Plus we keep so things awesome. simple here. Love it. Love it. So, I mean, this is a perfect segue. I don't want you to give away any alpha strategies, of course, but can you kind of talk a little bit deeper about what, what makes Globe 3 different? How are you different than the typical digital asset first hedge fund? Um, and maybe you can allude to what Jeff already kind of mentioned. You're not necessarily focused on the top five cryptos, uh, as most hedge funds are focused on like the top 15. What's your you know philosophy around you're reading tons of different white papers during DeFi summer for you to kind of carve your specific niche in the space? Well, it's, that's a great question. And, you know, Jeff and I always say when it comes in order to be successful, you have to have two things. You have to be different and you have to be right. So we're still waiting on that second part. You know, we're, we believe we're very right. But the different part is getting into this industry. What I really enjoyed is going after the small micro cap protocols. That's where I wanted to dive into stuff that wasn't available on Coinbase or any of the main centralized exchanges, stuff where you had to get into uh, the, you know, these DEXs and all that stuff to be able to trade. Um, we also knew a lot of crypto hedge funds in it that were charging you know, expensive crypto hedge fund fees. They were just buying Bitcoin and Ethereum. And we didn't feel that's something that we wanted to do. If you wanted to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum, you can just go to Coinbase and do that. So being different is dealing in the small and micro market caps. And so that's what we want to offer our LPs is kind of a diversification, you know, maybe from the larger cryptos. And we might have a couple that are in the top 25 that we really like, and that's okay. But it's going after, you know, really these smaller protocols that we believe have a legitimate chance, 5, 10, 20x in the future, and kind of getting them very early rather than waiting till they're on Coinbase and having them already worth billions of dollars. So we're looking for, you know, higher returns. You know, obviously it's a little bit higher risk, but kind of 
you know, the experience I have in, in, in researching a lot of these protocols, we feel like the risk is able to be controlled quite well. And, um, and yeah, so that's really kind of our main focus that we believe is a big differentiator because I don't know many crypto hedge funds that really go after these, you know, smaller protocols like we do. And so that's, a, yeah, it's a big differentiator. Yeah, we, uh, to add to that, we often say we, we're the only ones playing in the sandbox that we play in. And as Matt mentioned, we do have a couple, what we call core um, owner own own tokens in the top 25. I'm happy to share one of them, Chainlink, because it represents really the kind of token that we look for in the smaller protocols. In that, uh, you know, the railroads, the toll roads, the old picks and shovels of the miners, right? Those are the guys that made the money. And you look at a Chainlink and it's, you know, they'll do 500 billion. People are talking a trillion transactions or more and you pick off a hundredth of a penny per transaction, um, you're, you're, you know, it's going to be a Merry Christmas for a long time. And so we look for those types, uh, especially in this bear market, you know, somewhere between 20 and 200 million market cap in today's pricing is usually where we identify uh, the other 80% of our portfolio. Not with the intent of only staying there, but the intent of maybe, you know, one of those protocols being number 200 or 250 on the market cap um, hierarchy and moving it, growing with it long term into the top 40, into the top 20. We already think we've identified an easy top 10, maybe a couple of them. And what we call this is liquid venture. Very much, and this gets a little confusing for people, but very much we are investing like we're venture capitalists when companies are young, um, the teams are developing, they've got maybe a little revenue, they've got some traction, uh, they can pivot easily, they can maneuver, and they've got a segment that we think they can dominate. And so we're willing to invest in them. But the advantage we have that VCs in regular equity marketplace, or maybe even the venture capital that do it before the liquid tokens come out on these projects, is we have the ability with the liquid tokens to unwind. So if we invest in a protocol that's 70 million and down the road, we see another protocol that's going to take them off the map. And certainly that's happening and, and will continue to happen or something changes in their treasury or something changes in their management um, or they do something we don't like. We can unwind out of that liquidity, hopefully make a little bit, get our money back or lose just a little. And we've got a deep bench of projects that Matt has researched, you know, another 12 to 20 that we're ready to plug right in. And we've had to do that twice already. One, fortunately, it was one of our biggest gainers when they uh, uh, did some stuff that uh, was unfortunate. Um, we were able to get out with a 70% gain. The other one we broke even on and uh, just looked this morning and it's down 50% from where we got out. So, we were able to take that of a project we really like and move it to another project that we really like. And we think that's just a huge advantage. And to go on to what Matt said, these are projects that most of our limited partners and potential clients, they're probably couldn't identify, couldn't find in the midst of sifting through 20,000 different protocols and projects. If they found them, how do you buy them? You can't go to the big exchanges yet and buy them. We love that. You, where do you store them? How do you secure them? And how do you ultimately extract value out of them? And Matt and I see the biggest alpha in that category. The, the, what we always say is 
the opportunity is in the complexity. That's the expertise Matt brings to find all this, secure it, store it, extract value out of it. And by the time the masses find this, um, and they're on the Coinbase exchanges, the Binance's, the, you know, the Kraken, et cetera, um, we've hopefully gotten our 20 and 40 X's, and then we can grow another 20 and 40 X with, you know, the, the mature token, if you will, um, as it gets into its own space. So that's the whole strategy and structure of uh, Globe 3 Capital, and that's what makes us different, and we couldn't be more excited. And, and uh, Jordan, just a quick add-on there. We talk about what we do, but also it's what we don't do. Um, and even though I have a derivatives background, we don't, you know, trade options on crypto. You know, we know we're in a risky space. We understand that. So there are things we do to try to limit that risk. We don't go buy NFTs. I tell Jeff all the time, I'm not a museum creator. I don't know which NFT project is going to be the best. I have no clue. Now, do we like to invest in underlying cool NFT, up, up and coming NFT protocols? Yeah, absolutely we do. You know, the railroads, that type of underlying technology, um, we don't leverage. That's something we're not going to do. We're very careful about the partners we select, whether it's global stake or, you know, certain exchanges that we need to deal with. We're very, very careful on that when it comes to that and custody and all that. So it's just important we don't take that extra unnecessary risks um, because we understand we're in a risky space already. And I think that's important to mention. One more thing. We don't collateralize. We don't short. We don't day trade. Um, we're long only. And uh, those are all risk mitigation factors, again, that Matt says, you know, we believe this space is risky enough. We're willing to accept that, uh, lower it where we can and take advantage. And so, you know, maybe down the road in a future second or third uh, hedge fund we create. But right now we're just concentrated on uh, getting everything right and keeping it simple. You guys are clearly masters of managing risk. I mean, just hearing those stories combined, especially you getting out with the 70% and then catching the other one at break even and being able to reposition that capital, hugely effective for your whole organization. That's kudos to you guys. Thank you. So, so speaking of risk, um, kind of take a pivot here for a second. Curious your thoughts on a lot of people are out there chasing yield, which makes a lot of sense. But with Treasury um, or T-bills rising and what the interest they're paying out, and then you can see things like e-staking yields dropping down to, I think as of today, it's 3.48% annualized. You know, just out of curiosity, what are your thoughts are on staking in general, um, holding crypto assets as risky as they can be, and then eking out even yields that are just averaging close to T-bills? Do you think institutions in general are going to do a mass pullout from the crypto market until a, a true bull market per se carries off? Or what are your thoughts around that in general? Yeah, um, lots of questions in there, and I'll hit one segment of it. We think the liquidity, and you saw the liquidity drain. Um, you know, over the last year, year and a half. And a lot of that was due to the fact that the risk-free rate for treasuries was, you know, basically zero, um, 2%, 3%, whatever it was back in the day. And you could go out and get an Ethereum and other staking protocols and yield farming, et cetera. And you could get six, seven, eight, maybe 10%, right? Uh, and upwards, um, on those types of yields. So it made a lot of sense that liquidity would come to crypto seeking out that yield. Well, the environment's changed and it changed quickly thanks to the Fed. Uh, interest rates have dramatically gone up. So now you can get, you know, and my numbers are going to be a little rough, but a six month treasury one year and get 
So now the yields for crypto that are inherently risky and in our myopic mindset from seeing the spare market and losing, you know, 50, 60, 70 percent, most people did, um, that yield for crypto isn't as attractive, especially when you can get the risk-free rate at 5 percent and not lock up your money. So you've seen the money that was there for the yield, we believe, drain. The investment money, the folks that are in it for the revolution, um, for the growth of digital assets uh, like Ethereum that believe, hey, it's at 1600 give or take right now today. Um, it'll be back to 4800 short time. That's a nice 3x. It'll probably be 16000 For those folks that are investing in it, thinking with that mentality, they absolutely love the staking yield that Ethereum gives. It reduces risk in the underlying asset. It also provides a nice income. And if you think about it, and this is something Matt and I, you know, one of the reasons we got into this space, um, if you can stake at Ethereum at $1,600 and get a 4% return, and it goes to 16000 at 10x, whether that's two years down the road or eight years down the road, your original investment is now getting 40%, right? That's the thing that real estate investors, and you're not getting your 4% on that 10-year treasury on your million dollars every single year. And after 10 years, you're getting 40,000 minus the inflation rate, which actually is probably making it a wash in year seven, eight, nine, and 10. So now Ethereum is the underlying asset has increased 10x and your yield on that asset is now 40% per year, all else being equal if it can maintain. That's almost half your money back on your original investment every single year that now you can go and diversify. And really, I just nailed the strategy of what Matt Lason and I do and why we brought on amazing partners like yourselves to get our portfolio now up to about 45% staked uh, with the mission of getting it 75, 85%, hopefully within the next four or five months. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And as far as, uh, you know, when we're, when you're investing into cryptocurrencies and these protocols, you're looking long-term. We're looking for not just a, a few percentage points. Uh, we do, if the, the, the protocol, underlying protocol allows us to stake, then we love it for exactly the reasons that Jeff mentioned. You know, um, as far as T-bills go, I mean, it's funny in the DeFi summer, the, the yields were completely inverted. You know, you almost got 0% out in the TradFi world, and then you were getting easy double digits all day in crypto. Even though that's changed, I don't think it's going to deter any, anybody from kind of investing in cryptocurrency. Because we all know, even if you're getting 5% on your treasury bills, that's all you're getting. And, you know, I don't care. You can believe the CPI is 3.7%, but we all know that when we go to the grocery store, that's not true. Thank you guys so much for that. I mean, it's clear that part of your philosophy is about being early. And honestly, one of the things that our co one of our co-founders, Rich Shorten for Global Stake, he he sat on many telecoms boards and he kind of saw when he pivoted to Web3 in 2019 that this is the future. This is where this is all going. And we need to be building high quality infrastructure to kind of set up these future network effects. So tell us a little bit more about your investment philosophy and why being so early gives you an edge in this space. Well, no, that's a great question. Uh, being early, you know, it's funny. A lot of people right now will talk about like, oh, I missed it. We missed the whole thing. You know, crypto's over, crypto's dead. Well, we believe the exact opposite. And like Jeff says, 
you know, right now the pricing is phenomenal. You're dealing with, you know, you get 2017 pricing for 2022 adoption and development. I mean, you couldn't ask for more. And so it's really kind of like a, a just a gift that we've been given. And I look a lot at, you know, kind of the old cryptocurrency industry, a lot like the internet back in the day. You know, I was on the trading floor from 95 to 04, and I was able to see the bull market back then and come and go. And I remember the 2000, 2001 crash, internet crash, and the, you know, the dot-com bubble just deflate. Everyone thought that was the end of the internet. Now, I'm pretty sure sitting here today, no one thinks that's the end of the inter- internet. It's just a rebirth and really ended up having, missing the Googles and the, you know, all the, anything social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff was just kind of just started getting going. So I believe that's where we are in the world of cryptocurrency. They're dealing with all the problems that have plagued them before to lead us to mass, mass adoption, whether it's making it easier for the end user to get in and be able to use all these protocols, all that stuff being fixed now. So right now, we believe is the optimal time to get in. And you're still very, very early. Um, and, you know, just imagine if you decided back in 2001, 2002, you wanted to invest in, you know, the Facebook and the Amazons of the world. You'd be doing pretty good today. Love it. Well, thank you both so much. For those of you that are listening, please down below, you can see both Jeff, Matt, and Globe3 Capital are tagged. Feel free to reach out to them to learn more about um, how you can work with them. And if you have any questions, as you can see, they're both great gentlemen. They'd be happy to help support. But thank you all for listening for another podcast and stay tuned for next week. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan.